text this morning is kind of sort of extensive, and I thought about just walking through it before reading it, but I think I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll walk through it. Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 27. Please remember that this is almost halfway through Paul's first sermon or first message to the church at, or to the synagogue at Antioch as he is on his first missionary journey. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, being Lord Jesus, they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as, you, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he is spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perished, and perish, for I am doing the work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke out, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what, Paul's, what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, because we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made it a light, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word, word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. There's a lot here. 
We won't get into all of it this morning. Fear not. Allow me to pray. Father, this is your holy word. It is meant to encourage and instruct us. Be with your servant this morning as he shares a few lessons from its truth. We open our hearts to its instruction. We open our minds to understand the wisdom here. Help us always to be faithful. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to cold hearts, there is always God's grace. In response to blind eyes, there is always God's light. Studying the book of Acts has been a bit of a challenge. I'm going to make a statement, and I don't want you to think I'm being negative or anything, but it's been kind of hard to find a good commentary on Acts. They're not really bad commentaries on Acts. I mean, all the ones I've read are good commentaries after a fashion. And I'm sure there are good commentaries out there. But most, most commentaries on Acts focus on verifying a lot of historical facts because there are a lot of historical facts that reflect the historicity of the events of that day. And it's good to know that history itself, even archaeology itself, verifies what we read there. There are many commentaries that offer interesting points about the geography and where they traveled. But such commentaries read almost like an atlas or a travel guide. Very often they come across as something as dry as chalk dust. And we think about that and wonder, why, how is this helping me find truths in the Scripture that increase and strengthen my faith and my understanding of the Lord Jesus and my need for him? To his disciple, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture. And those who are evangelical and those who are faithful to the Word understand that it is all Scripture. So if all Scripture is there for our good, for our instruction, for our reproof, what can we glean out of this in the book of Acts? Well, Paul is addressing spiritual problems and he's referencing Israel and her history. But as we do this this morning, I want to also kind of get us inside the door. Let us listen in on this message to those at the synagogue 2,000 years ago. Last week, the Apostle Paul began his sermon 
and after the fashion of the Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus, talking to those two disciples who did not recognize him at first, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus went back to, and expounded to them all the law and the prophets, bringing them up to the fulfillment of Christ the Messiah. And if you remember Peter's first message on the day of Pentecost, he did the same kind of fashion, went back into the Old Testament and brought that history back up to, to focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And Paul is doing that same kind of sermon here, looking back into the Old Testament in order that he might reveal to them truths that they need to see. He talks about the spiritual problem that Israel had, cold hearts. He addresses that plain and simply. Verse 27 of Acts 13, those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled those prophets' utterances by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. They, Paul is talking about how Christ died. A man proven innocent died for a reason and a purpose. The salvation and redemption of the lost. spiritual problem that had lived and lived in the hearts of Israel and the nation for centuries was the very thing that nailed Christ Jesus to the cross. Some of you might remember, and I've talked with several people in my years in ministry, who have a problem with the Old Testament and how God comes across as angry and full of wrath, and full of vengeance. God is just. He deserves justice. All of his law is broken repeatedly, daily, regularly. His law continues to be broken every day by billions He has every right to be just. He also has every right to express mercy. And you and I can be glad of that because we've tasted of his mercy. We've tasted of his grace. It's been his gift to us. When Moses met the Lord, the great I Am, on Mount Sinai, receiving the law, the Lord said to him, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, or I Am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. you read or study the Old Testament, you must acknowledge the sins of men are worthy of God's wrath. 
because they are so very often deliberate and rebellious and full of pride. The sins of men deserve God's wrath, and he is just to exact punishment upon all. The Apostle Paul quotes Exodus, what we just read in Exodus, Romans 9. The Lord said to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. We are all without excuse. We deserve every bit of God's wrath because we are guilty. We were born guilty. We were born condemned. And in the Old Testament, God expressed his wrath and judgment on many. You remember the story of Israel in Egypt. The Bible says to Pharaoh, I have raised you, the Lord said to Pharaoh, I have raised you up so that my name shall be glorified. And you know, I've kind of struggled with that. We know what happened to Pharaoh. We know what happened to Egypt. How was God glorified? God was glorified by demonstrating his wrath justly on a nation of a hard-hearted king. When a criminal, a hardened criminal, a brutal criminal comes before a judge and you know that criminal has been found guilty, You would be annoyed with that judge if he did not exact justice upon that criminal. If, if, that, if he let him go without any justice whatsoever, that judge would not be glorified. But God is glorified by providing justice where it is needed. We know what he did to Pharaoh, and he was glorified in doing so. We also see what he did in the book of Daniel. God demonstrated his mercy on King Nebuchadnezzar. God demonstrated his grace on King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had come in according to God's providence. God raised him up to chastise Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar's armies leveled the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple that Solomon had built, carried many of them into captivity, of which were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he boasted about it. God could have killed him, destroyed his nation like he did with Pharaoh. But God chastised him. God humbled him until Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed the one true God as the only God. God expressed his wrath upon Pharaoh. He expressed his mercy and grace upon Nebuchadnezzar. Just two examples. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. 
God showed his great mercy and grace on the people of Israel. They were often disobedient, and they were very often chastised. We can see that in their history. And the Apostle Paul brings up reminders of that throughout his sermon. But although they were disobedient, although they were very often chastised, as a father chastises his children, they were always sustained and never forgotten. Isaiah 49 says, The people of Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. And through the prophet, the Lord responded, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she shouldn't have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Though Israel had been sinful, had been rebellious and disobedient, God never forget them. There was his grace. There was his mercy throughout all the history of the Old Testament. So let's not argue anymore about the Old Testament God being someone who was angry and the New Testament God being someone who was nice. They are the same. They are one. To us, he owes nothing, yet he has been gracious through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who live in Jerusalem, returning to our text, and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are the ver- read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. Here we see God's grace, not just his grace, but his mercy. We always talk about his grace, but behind grace, we see a foundation of his mercy. Were it not for his mercy, we would have none of his grace. Verse 30, God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. In Paul's message, he reminded them that Christ did rise again. And every bit of it, his death and his burial and his resurrection were witnessed by his disciples. For 40 days after his resurrection, he walked this earth. And the Apostle Paul reminds the church at Corinth that at one time he was seen and preached to 500 people. I'd like to preach to 500 people. Jesus is the only man who came out of the grave. He gets to make the rules. Well, you might also counter with an argument, well, what about Lazarus? What about Jairus' daughter? What about, there was a widow of Nain, her son died, and he was brought back to life. Yeah, the Lord Jesus brought each one of those back to life. There was no one around commanding the Lord Jesus to come out of that grave, out of that tomb, when he 
resurrected. We see in the one who rose from the grave the righteousness and purity and the acceptance of his offering of perfect sacrifice for our redemption. Verse 32, the Apostle Paul told them, We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken to the spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through, his, through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. I will say it again. Jesus is the only one who came up out of the grave. He is the Son of God. He is the Eternal One who lives, who is seated on the throne in heaven now. He gets to make the rules. It is his law we are guilty of violating, yet it is his offering that provides us redemption and salvation. You need to recognize how gracious God is. If you do not recognize that, then I must warn you, your heart is probably cold. Something needs to change. He owes you nothing. He does not even owe you a warm, fuzzy feeling. Well, God just needs to show me something. He doesn't even owe you a warm, fuzzy feeling. He has given you his word. He has given you creation to see his glory and his power and his beauty. And he has given his word to see you, to reveal to you your condition, your need, your spiritual poverty. And he's given you the gospel. That his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for you. That you might be saved. If that doesn't quicken your heart. then you need to work. You need to work on your heart. Lord, I submit. Lord, I surrender. Lord, I confess my sin and my need. I am so proud. I am so angry. I am so bitter. I cannot even respond to you. I want everything for myself. And I'm angry that you won't give it to me. Does that not sound like a pouting child? Blind eyes 
need to see God's light. Cold hearts need to experience God's grace. Blind eyes need to see God's light. Verse 40, if blind eyes do not see God's light, this is what the word says. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. I remember the story, the account the Lord Jesus gave in the Gospel of Luke about the rich man and Lazarus. story of a rich man who was wealthy and comfortable and at ease and a poor man by the name of Lazarus who sat outside this man's door, the gate of his house, and begged. And he was so pitiful. He was sickly. He was sore. The dogs would come and lick his sores. And the man died. And the Bible says he was carried into paradise, described as the bosom of Abraham. He was at peace and at rest. And the rich man died, and he went to Hades, to the other place, to the place of torment. And he could see across the gulf in the spiritual vision that Lazarus was at peace. And he called out to the Lord, Lord, send someone with a drop of water to clench my tongue. And he was refused. Send someone to tell my brothers, give them a warning. He was refused. And he argued, but if someone were to warn him, then they would not have to come here. And the Lord said, the Lord himself said, even if someone were to come back from the dead and warn them, they would not believe. Blind eyes, the blind eyes of hard-hearted, cold-hearted people Refuse to see God's truth. If you are a believer, if you receive Christ as your Savior and your heart has gotten a little cold, that's your responsibility, it's not His. If you don't see the truth that is in Scripture, that's your responsibility. Uh, you've given, he's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and to teach you. He's given you avenues of prayer that you may come into his presence boldly. Why do you not use those? Cold eyes, excuse me, cold hearts respond Need, should respond to God's grace. Blind eyes need to see God's light. Lest what is said in the prophets should come about, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. He is quoting the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 28 of Isaiah, beginning at 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, We have made a covenant of death. And with Sheol, or the grave, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. 
we have made lies our refuge and falsehood and in falsehood we have taken shelter therefore thus says the lord behold I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. These words, 40 and 40, uh, verses 40 and 41 in Acts chapter 13, are drawn from Isaiah 28 because the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and the priests that crucified Christ Jesus were a fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about. We have made a covenant with death and with the grave. We have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. They compromised with the governments in charge in order that they might save their own skins. They had cold hearts and blind eyes, and they would not see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would not see the light of the world in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that, brother and sister. We have it in his word, and if you're his, you have it in your heart. Do not let your heart grow cold. Do not let your eyes grow blind. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word and its truth and its power. And we ask this morning that you might speak to us. Help us to be yours faithfully. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we approach.